as we are aware, Father, that we do indeed have a need. And Father, we have a need of having more teachers so that we can have the uh, uh, amount of classes that we would like to facilitate each time we come together. We are in need of more deacons. We are in need of more elders to, to not only serve the congregation, Father, but also to shepherd the congregation. And Father, we pray that from this lesson today, Father, we will glean more information in terms of the process itself and, and who these individuals are, if what is required of them. But also, Father, we will start the process of individuals uh, thinking of the possibility of serving in these capacities, Father and the congregation to look within ourselves, Father, to find those who, who are capable, but not only capable, but also qualify. And Father, let us work together to train those who, who may feel that they are not. Let us work together to train those and bring them up, Father, so that they will be in a better position in the future to perform in these capacities. Father, these things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So please turn to Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 2. And as we're turning over there, I have a couple of questions for you. The first question is this. Who are the saints? Who are the saints? We are. And the next question is, how does one acquire status or how does one um, come into the role of being a saint? Through baptism and what was the last part? And following the Lord. Thank you. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, at verse 2, the Bible reads, To the church of God, which is in Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And in this particular passage, in this particular passage, Paul refers to four things, okay? But he's referring to the same people. It's like we say, uh, this individual is my mom's, rather, my dad is my mom's husband, but my dad is also the father of my brother, but my dad is also the the, uh, brother of my uncle, and my dad also, let's say, coaches on the soccer team. Okay? So we're talking about the same person, but we're talking about four different things. So Paul talks to these brethren there at Corinth, and he refers to them in four different ways, ways that define what and who a saint really is. Now, the term saint refers to their condition now that they have been washed, now that they have been purified. Now, we think about what saints are and who saints are. They did not do this on their own. They did not do this with their own strength. They did not do this because of their goodness. They were called to become this way when they obeyed the gospel. That is, when they heard the word, they believed, they repented, they confessed, they were baptized into Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, as we see in Acts chapter 2 verses 37 and 38. And what we find is that Christ Jesus washed away their sins in baptism. And when he did this, they or we became saints in that we were purified, we were cleansed, we were sanctified. So when we think about saints and the spiritual aspects of saints, uh, what, are, what are saints to be? What are we to be as saints? 
I have two things. First of all, all saints are to be faithful. Remember, uh, rather turn to Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10. All saints are to be faithful. At Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10, the Bible reads, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. And you will have tribulation for 10 days. And then it says, be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. Jesus tells the saints at Smyrna that if they are faithful unto death, what will happen? They will receive the crown of life. And what, and what Jesus tells the saints at Smyrna, we need to understand, accept, and believe this right here. He is telling the saints in 2023 here at Anchorage Church of Christ the same thing, to be faithful unto death, and we will receive the crown of life. Now, someone would say in this, this particular time, but James, as a saint, what are my responsibilities? Well, what I say is to that question is this right here. Our responsibility as saints is this, to make every effort to be faithful, into, which is to say we need to be faithful for a lifetime because being faithful for a lifetime requires effort. Hearing and obeying God's word requires effort. Resisting temptation over and over again, even when we fail, requires effort. Faithful in the church in worship and service requires effort. Faithful in our complete trust that God can, that God, God will save us even when we are completely discouraged. This too requires effort. Another thing about saints is that saints are to be holy. First Peter 1. First Peter 1 at chapter, at verse 15. First Peter 1 at verse 15. The Bible reads, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. So when we think about saints and we think about being holy, what words come to mind for us of what? Attitudes of condition comes to mind. Holy. 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 How about this? I'm sorry, what's that? Set apart. Thank you. Anyone else? All right, thank you. Saints mean being separate. It means being different. It means to be dedicated. And when we are doing those things, we are set apart. We are set apart from the world. You know, it's like when you buy a wedding dress. You think about it. A wedding dress is a holy thing. Why? Because it has been set aside for a, for a particular time and a particular day and a particular purpose. Saints are holy and set aside by God for a particular day and a particular purpose. And the purpose is to glorify God. The purpose is to honor him. The purpose of the Christian's life then is to live in such a way, in such a way that his or her life brings honor to God. What is done, what is said, what is thought, what is accomplished, what is even tried is done to bring honor to God. The day that saints have been set aside for is the day when our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus returns. On that day, the great wedding between Christ Jesus and his church will take place. So I ask you, 
What is the greatest honor saints can bring to God? What is the greatest honor saints can bring to God? How about this? The greatest honor saints bring to God is that they will honor, that we will honor and receive Christ on the day that he returns. Remember the first time he came? He wasn't received well by his own. His own persecuted him. His own rejected and crucified him. But when he comes that second time, when he comes that second time, apart from sin, this time his people will be ready and joyful at his coming. So in a practical sense, holiness often requires us to go against the grain in this life, and that becomes hard work. For example, honoring God through regular worship each week goes against the grain of leisure activities, working overtime, inconvenience. Honoring God through purity goes against the grain of bad language, language sexually explicit movies, uh, books, and, and, and temptation to being involved sexually outside of marriage. Going against the grain, well, honoring God, I should say, honoring God through giving goes against the grain of materialism, selfishness, and worldliness, and longing for the goods of this world. So, Going back to that wedding dress example, the value of the bride's dress is not only its design and its cloth, but it's the fact that all of this effort, all of this expense has been exclusively devoted to one single wearing of the dress on one single day. I remember my daughter got married. That dress is still hanging in the closet. Hasn't been worn since. She doesn't want to wear it again. What makes the life of the saint holy is that he only has, we only have one life. And this life is exclusively devoted to God in preparation for the day when Christ Jesus returns Logically speaking, the number one prerequisite for serving as a preacher, as a teacher, as a deacon, as an elder, is serving as a saint. It's a proven fact. If we cannot lead to learn to serve, we cannot learn to lead. So that takes us to deacons. The word deacon means servant. So when we look in the, in, in the, uh, in the Bible, what we find that, uh, in the English language, I should say, we find that 25% of the English language comes from the Greek language uh, in which the New Testament was, 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 was originally written. When we translate it into English, some Greek words, what we find that they were not translated, they were merely angelicized or transliterated. The word deacon is one such word. The original Greek word was diakonos, 
and it was transliterated into the English word deacon that we use today. The word meant servant. In the Greek, there are many slaves. And so there are many words used to describe the class of people. For instance, in Luke chapter 1 at verse 48, we see the use of the term bond servant, a bond slave. The text there read, Luke 1 at verse 48, For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. In Luke chapter um, 7, chapter 2 through 10, we see the use of the term boy slave. It's basically a domestic. And this is, remember, this is when the, uh, the centurion uh, came to Christ Jesus for the healing of his boy slave. Another, in uh, Mark chapter 14 at verse 65, we see the use here as, a, as an officer, or a, you might say the officer of a, of a high official. Mark 40, 14 and verse 65, the Bible says, Some began to spit at him, and to blindfold him, and to beat him with their fists, and to say to him, Prophesy. And the officers received him with a slap in the face. The word deacon, however did not refer to a bond slave, a boy slave, or an official. The word described a servant who is a waiter, or an attendant, or a courier. For example, in Luke 10, uh, verse 14, Martha complained that she had to serve the guest alone. In other words, she had to wait her alone. This passage uses the word Diaconos. In Acts 6, when those seven men were chosen to s- provide food for those widows, the word for the work of serving food was diaconos, a waiter to waiter the food. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 4, we'll be reading that in a minute. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 4, the word used, the word rather is used in its curious sense. The authority of government is the messenger of or courier of God, diaconos of God. At Romans chapter 13, at verse 4, the Bible reads, For it is a minister of God to you for good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does, for it does not fear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. We'll be reading Romans uh, 16 to verse 1 in a moment. Romans 16 to verse 1. In Romans 16 to verse 1, we see a reference to uh, Phoebe. And the term there also is diakonos because she brings a message. The word is used in its curious sense here as well. Romans 16 to verse 1, the Bible says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is in Sincrea. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit selects this particular word that describes a servant who serves as a personal attendant or messenger and uses it in a Christian context of ministry within the church. Now, there's a point here. 
The point is that before Christianity, the word simply referred to a particular type of servant who had particular duties that involved serving food and, and, and running errands. The New Testament writers, however, began using this word to refer to a particular person in the church who did a particular work. And since, since the word referred to a servant and his relationship to a task, it was well suited to describe the role that we refer to as deacon. And we think back on that, what we read in the Bible they were they established a limited number now going back to Acts chapter 6 again the number 7 7 was used because that's what they needed at the time apparently i don't know any other reason why it was used but they established a limited number they were selected by the congregation from the congregation they were to be men not women they were to have charge or be appointed over the task the task was singular they had specific qualifications. People, they were people who can take charge. They can be different kinds of men. They were ordained or commended. The fact that one is chosen by, by, uh, by one's peers based on specific qualifications and then approved by a leadership is what makes the role or service, if you will, separate and apart. Deacons, we're thankful for everyone that we have here that serves as a deacon. Deacons are a special and a separate role from elders. We must remember that. They're different from the preachers and the other saints as well because of the additional responsibilities they have. And again, this is by virtue of their qualifications, their selection, and their commendation. Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 6 reveals the work and spiritual spiritual maturity of saints of the church and show that they were selected philippians 1 at verse 1 confirms the fact that they were recognized as having a specific role within the church apart from the elders and the preachers first timothy 3 verses 8 through 13 gives us some insight as to the basic qualifications necessary to be considered for this role as well as their standing in the body and how they were chosen this takes us to elders as was previously stated logically speaking the number one prerequisite for serving as a teacher, a deacon, a preacher, or an elder is serving as a saint. We don't become any of these in the church. We don't become preachers, teachers, deacons, and elders in the church first, and then we start talking to the individuals about becoming a saint. That is not how it works. There are two places in the New Testament where Paul specifically talks about elders and their qualifications. First, we want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now here, Paul is given 
what we find rather is Paul has given instruction to Timothy about the church in general and how rather how people should conduct themselves as part of that church and in chapter 3 not only does he list the qualifications of a deacon he also talks about that of elders as well he also talks about their wives he talks he gives specific qualifications so let's let's read from first timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 the bible reads it is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer it is a fine work he desires to do an overseer then must be above reproach the husband of one wife temperate prudent respectable hospitable able to teach not addicted to wine or pugnaciousness but gentle peaceable free from the love of money He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Before we look and explain the very uh, specific requirements for qualifications of elders, what I want us to do is examine some broader characteristics that are necessary when trying to recognize whom among us should serve in this capacity. There are specific qualifications, as was stated earlier, for elders, again, found in the epistles of Timothy and Titus. But there are also some generic qualifications, I should say, that help us identify what kind of man is truly eldership material. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, we're going to be looking at actually verses 15 through 16. Second Timothy chapter 3. When we look at generic characteristics of an elder, we find that this man, this man accepts the Bible as God's word and that God's word is the only standard by which we in the church operates. Second Timothy 3 at verse 15, the Bible reads, And from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In verse 17, let's go ahead and just say that, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. A person who is not yet convinced that this, rather convinced of this, and who cannot defend this idea lacks the fundamental component for successful leadership in Christ's church. The major tool for the elder and the work that we do as elders is the word of God. 
if he does not know it, I does not believe that it is God's word, or if he, or if he does not go to it for direction and for counsel, that person will lead God's people into apostasy. That person will lead God's people away from the church, away from God. Another thing about this man, this man loves the church. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, the Bible reads, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. I have an analogy for you. I have an analogy for you. And the analogy is this right here. Brethren, I've been serving as an elder here since about 2010. And I'm going to tell you this right here. Serving as an elder is not always fun. But I'm also going to tell you this. I'm also going to tell you this. Serving as an elder has always been a joy. It has always been a joy because it goes back to this right here. I love the church. This is a mindset that anyone serving as an elder must have. No, it is not always going to be fun, but it is a joy. You think it was fun for Christ Jesus to get beat the way he got beat down? No, but he joyfully went to the cross for our sins. He didn't say it was fun. He said, I did it for the joy of serving God and my fellow man. This man also knows how to worship God. Romans chapter, two, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This man knows how to worship God in every context of life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible reads, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect Paul equates Paul equates service and purity as our everyday worship as opposed to our public corporate worship which consists of songs, prayer, communion, teaching, and giving. The leaders of the church are able to lead both types of worship. They can pray, teach, and sing during corporate worship and they know how to worship God the rest of the week as well by leading lives that are pure and full of service. Now, Steve may have alluded to this last week somewhat, but too many times we choose only the ones to, we choose as elders only the ones who are good at leading long prayers without examining what kind of spiritual service of worship they may be offering during the rest of the week. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 5 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Another thing about this man, this man works well with others. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, the Bible reads, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? 
servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. The work of the elder, the work of the elder is a people job. Not only does the elder work with the congregation through the teaching, through teaching and counseling, but the elder must also work with other elders, with the preachers, with the deacons, the teachers, all the saints. God's leader is recognized for his ability to foster unity and foster peace, not for his ability to get his own way. Elders do not confuse leadership with self-will. Acts chapter 15, verse 4. Acts chapter 15 and verse 4. This man knows how to make decisions. Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 4, after we get to verse 6, we're going to skip down to verse 22. At verse 4, the Bible reads, When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into the matter. Verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas, who's called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter with them, by them, I should say. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles greeting the thing that elders do most is make decisions that is what leadership is for elders do not make all the decisions why because if elders made all the decisions that would be equivalent to lording it over the congregation or over the church Elders do not make all of the decisions, but elders do make important decisions and take ownership of those decisions, whether they end up working out or not. They make decisions as teachers and guardians of the faith. They decide what will be taught, and if it is taught, and if what is taught is biblical, when there is a dispute. Elders teach the church. They teach by their choice of material and the teachers that, that they are, in fact, influencing the entire church in the work of different teachers. Elders make decisions about discipline, as we see at 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 8. They make decisions about who will serve and how they will serve. In Acts chapter 6, the new deacons were commended by the apostles and the leaders. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 14, we find that preachers were appointed by elders. Elders are men who understand that they must make decisions. 
elders understand how to make decisions in prayer, fasting, and study. And they are to continue serving even even when the final decision made by the elders as a group, and, and I'll say this again, I've been serving as an elder a long time. There's never been one elder in, in a meeting saying this is the way it's going to be. It was always a group decision. Using the word of God, using prayer, using study, and at times fasting. So again, they're able to continue serving even when the final decision made by the elders as a group does not go their way. We have never been against changing the decision that we've made when we see that we could have gone in a better direction. Elders are men who understand indecision. Now, we were guilty of that for a while. Elders are men who understand indecision is worse than wrong decision. And consequently, we are not afraid of making the tough or unpopular decision when it comes. So, when we, so then rather, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. As is written in Romans 14 and verse 9. Another thing about this man, this man is dependable. Acts chapter 20, verse 36. Acts chapter 20, verse 36. This man is dependable, but not only that, this man can share his feelings. At Acts chapter 20, verse 36, the Bible reads, When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. There are two places, as was stated earlier in the New Testament, where Paul specifically talks about elders and their qualifications. The desire to serve as an elder is a good thing and not to be interpreted negatively by others. It's not a sign of pride. He also states that this man... This man's, he also states that this is a man's role, and that is, and that it is a specific task or office. Paul says that it is a good work, and the key here is that it is a work. It is not a a position of honor bestowed upon a man because he's been here for a long time. It is a task. It is a job. It is a ministry. It is a good one, but at its base is work. The man aspires, that is, the man reaches for it because he desires or wants to do it. He is not drafted, he is not sold, he is not pushed. He reaches for this work because he has a desire to do it. Paul lists a variety of qualifications. He says they must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Temperate, moderate, not an extremist, prudent, careful in words and actions, respectable, dignified and orderly, hospitable, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, gentle and not contentious, free from the love of money, manages his household well, 
not a new convert. Has a good reputation. Again, the second place that we talked about is Titus. Titus 1, chapter 5 through 9, also speaks of the qualification of elders. Now, when we look at the qualifications of elders, we need to understand that they are eternal, meaning what? That in every generation, God's want, God wants people like this. But also, these qualifications are not impossible. These are all human qualities that, that people possess to a greater or lesser degree. And the church need men. The church need men who see these in themselves and who are willing to serve. They are mostly subjective in nature, except for being a man and being married with believing children. These qualifications are not absolute, except for those. But you have to ask yourself the question, just hospitable, just, just how hospitable, just how devout, just how sensible, just how temperate do one have to be to serve as an elder? Who measures? God knows that we cannot do these things to a perfect degree, but should be qualified to a positive degree. In other words, these qualifications should be present to the degree that they can at least be recognized by others within the congregation as a positive thing. Now, we may not feel good enough. We may not feel men just enough. But others in the congregation see these things in us. And when they do, it means that they do exist to the degree that enables us to serve others as elders. That is why God is organized and in such a way that others select us and we don't select ourselves. I'm going to fast forward to a very important aspect of an elder. And that is the wife of an elder. I think many elders would tell you that a good part of the success in the work of eldering belongs to the wife of that elder. So Paul says three major things about the elder's wife. Their conduct is reverent. They're not malicious gossips. They are not addicted to much wine. Paul now mentions what we see in their lives. They teach what is good. They love their husband and their children. They are sensible and pure. They are workers at home. They're good and they're kind and they are submitted to their husbands. And Paul says in the final verse of his teaching that this is the kind of behavior and teaching that will honor God. So in closing, God has given a leadership role in the church to men to serve as elders. He has described the kind of woman who can complement that leader in doing a good job in serving the church and honoring him. He says this is a woman who respects God and lives honorably, discreetly, and soberly. He says it is a woman who, who is not afraid to go against the grain of the world to retain her central position in the home and their special position 
next to her husband and children. It's a woman who can teach other women how to serve God, family, and community. I'm going to thank you all for joining me today. Out on the, uh, in the foyer there, there on the little deal on the wall, there are nomination forms for elders and deacons. It has the scripture on there for us to read and associate ourselves with. And we can go talk to individuals about serving as deacons and elders. It is, whether it's a deacon or an elder, it is a work that must be taken seriously. Now, I mentioned teachers earlier because as saints, we don't have to be elders. We don't have to be deacons to teach. We don't have to be, but we do have to be saints. We do have to be saints. And we have to be dedicated to the work that we're doing. Because you see, those little ones that we see running around, that I call it the patter of little feet. Those little ones, they are relying upon us to teach them how God would want them to be teached. And I, and I thank our teachers for what they do here, especially with this quarter that we have going on with this, <laughs> this quarter-long BBS. That is so neat. That is so neat. And our children will remember and our children will learn because of that teaching. So let us as a church, let us as a church work together to teach our children and raise them up properly. But let us as a church raise up men to serve as deacons, men to serve as elders, men to serve as preachers, but also wives who will support those men. Thank you for joining me today. Next week, uh, Brother Lawrence and Brother Hickman will take over for the rest of this quarter and the next quarter because they're going to be working from the book of books of John and John 1, 2, and 3. So thank you all for joining me today.